Welcome to episode 7 of Out of Hand, our weekly podcast about Wild Rift, Wild Rift Esports, League of Legends, Wild Rift. I'm TJ and this is a bit of a rare case. I'm all alone this week. Leonard has just finished his regular season of the Malaysia Singapore League over in the WCS. And so he's taking some well-earned time off going on vacation. He will be back uh, during the season finals, so that should be next week that we have him back. Uh, we'll keep this pretty short as a result, but I wanted to get something out there, continue updating the feeds as it does please the various algorithms. So let's talk through our patch this week, and then I'll give you a little bit of an update over on the WNS. That's the North American League, where we also just completed our regular season. First of all, the balance patch is patch 3.1a. Riot Games continue to have learned their lesson from that one time. They said it was patch 3.0, and everyone got very angry at them because 3.0 ought to be saved for a major patch. Uh, and so this time around, it's just a 0.1a. The most exciting part of this for me, I'm going to be totally honest, is the addition of Pajama Guardian Ezreal. There's also Pajama Guardian Locks in there to make money, but I think we know where the developer's real passion lies. Some very good skins, and there's an emote as well to go with it. But the actual tuning numbers make this one of the more interesting patches in a while. This is one of those patches where the only thing they changed were the numbers. So I, I get why this is like a A patch and not a 4.0. But also... These are the patches that really excite me as a little bit of a nerd. Uh, just running down the list, Jarvan got buffed, Karma got tuned down. We've had her for a couple of weeks now, and I think her AP is overvalued. So I don't know if this is actually going to affect her. her for what it's worth, her ultimate, her, her empowered first ability, both do less damage now with AP scaling, which will matter. That'll make it harder to play her in mid as an AP carry threat, but she kind of already felt bad in that role. We've seen a number of pro teams fall victim to, well, this worked really well in solo queue, let's try it out. And it never really worked in competitive play. What did work in competitive play, what does seem actually quite good, is builds around Karma using Ardent Sensor. And that can be done either in mid lane or in support, the mid lane, I suppose, be a little harder now because it'll be a little bit weaker in terms of early game wave clear but the power of ardent sensor i think is very much her real value and we're probably still going to see a decent amount of her if we're in a meta where that ardent sensor the harmonic echo all those support items uh can be really easily stacked onto a key ally we've seen some whisperings in asia uh, and north america of an upcoming AD carrying meta, for instance, a lot of Caitlyn, a lot of Jinx getting played, and I think Karma fits very neatly into that. And uh, that would also, of course, sound the harbinger of doom. Yumi probably fits into that meta quite well. Uh, Lulu probably fits into that meta quite well. Europe is already playing Seraphine. Uh, I I do think Karma is better than a lot of those options, so. We'll, we'll see how that balances out. I don't think her AP damage getting nerfed is actually a very big nerf for her. 
Master Yi got tuned down as well. This feels like uh, it was enough to stop the level 3 gank that made him so viable. There was a period during the last couple of weeks, uh, or I suppose just really the last week, where Master Yi was able to farm his own jungle so fast that he could turn level 3 within the first minute or two and start showing up in lanes. And that was a lot. That made him a, a comparable or a comparable early game threat to, like, a Lee Sin, uh, while also still doing the thing that Master Yi has always done, which is if you get to late game with him, you win. Now he's probably back to being a, a Kale equivalent, where he does have that formidable scaling threat. He is really good in the late game, but won't be blowing out your early game. Also in jungler news... Nunu got buffed, uh, and these are these are really fun buffs. These are this is what I mean when I say that the things that excite me most in this world are number changes. Sometimes the number changes are really exciting. In this case, for instance, they upped his AP ratios, and what that means for anyone who's not a Wild Rift nerd is every character in the game gets different amounts of value from the items and stats you build. Right. So an ability, for instance, will not always do the amount of damage plus the amount of AP or, or attack damage you built. It will do the amount of damage the ability does plus a percentage of the amount of AP you have built. Um, and all of those numbers went up, meaning that building magic damage items on Nunu now results in you doing more damage. It's hard doing this alone. Normally I have Leonard to bounce off of, and so when I say something, I can be like, did that make sense? And he goes, yeah, or no. I hope that made sense. Uh, what this means is that when he goes into lane with Snowball now, he does more damage. When he, most importantly, pops his ult, he does a lot more damage. And this for the first time kind of makes Nunu viable as a damage dealer. You can build him AP. I have been having fun doing so. Previously, Nunu kind of fell into the same category as a lot of the tank junglers that we traditionally see in League of Legends PC and other MOBAs, where their real value is, okay, we've got another warm body we can put in our front lines in teamfights. Uh, and if he had any damage value, it was in that he moved around the map really quickly, so during the early game he could be there as, like, a stun in a lane. He can arrive in a lane early and stun people up. Well, now, when he arrives in that lane and stuns people up, he doesn't necessarily need his lane partners, the laners, to get the kill. He can do that on his own. And I think that makes Nunu a, a very interesting pick to watch, kind of, coming into finals season. I think that's going to make Nunu one of the more interesting junglers rising up the meta. Renekton got some meaty buffs, and I'm not really sure what to make of them. Uh, uh, they're very specific in a way that, like, Renekton players probably understand better than I do, so I'm going to hit it with the time-honored strategy of I think we'll wait and see. Suffice it to say, that probably puts him in the same ballpark it, it he's playing in the same league now as the garens the dariuses that for a long time were just the top two uh, uh top lane picks 
but it's it's kind of a crowded club because of course you also have set up there and people are starting to realize that mundo is quite good so there's a lot of really viable team fight tanks that you can put in that top lane role and i don't know if renekton is i don't know if it's enough that you would pick renekton over like set for instance that's what i'll have to watch the chinese players play on this patch for a couple of weeks and then draw my own conclusions one of, one of the kind of interesting things though is that redaction due to his higher mobility is being played mid already people are pulling him out as one of those tanks that you can fit into the mid line and i suspect that there are a couple other tanks that you could put in there but things like garen and mundo which I personally love to play in the mid lane, are a little bit harder to play mid lane and pro play just because they need to walk everywhere. They don't have big dashes, they don't have mobility, they can't do dodge skill shots. Renekton can do all that. So, interesting stuff that he got buffed. Maybe we'll see him more mid. Kind of weird that he got buffed given that he, I felt he was in a pretty good place. Um, but I'm not a Renekton player in any role, so... What would I know? We saw Renekton support in the WNS this week. A Renekton support in the North American Pro League. Uh, and that was post-patch, so maybe it had something to do with it. Renekton looked pretty good. Uh, there were some vein nerfs, which probably take her out of meta in favor of, like, a Jinx. If you want to fulfill that role of, hey, what if we had an AD carry who scaled... I think Jinx probably is your number one draft pick there. Vayne, still good, but less so. Vagar got some cooldown uh, uh, buffs on Event Horizon, which is the big rings that if you walk into, it stuns you. That happens more often. I don't think this makes Vagar viable, because his problem is just that he's so short-ranged that it's very difficult to play Vagar against an assassin in this game, especially compared to other AP threats, other mage midliners that you can play in that same role. But he's more annoying now, so especially if you play at the lower ELOs, this probably matters. This probably makes Vagar, or at least laning into Vagar, a little more miserable. Vi got a weird buff. Her auto attack got buffed significantly in terms of damage, just her, her base attack. Uh, and because she's a jungler, that means that Vi now is going to clear jungle camps quicker. And a lot of her kit also revolves around empowering that auto attack, around adding extra value to that auto attack. So it's kind of interesting. I, I suspect that's probably a pretty big Vi buff. So, so put her in the same category as Nunu. Uh, it's like a little box with Vi and Nunu in it and on the side in permanent marker. It's a, I'm seeing like a tubware, like a packing box, maybe a cardboard packing box you'd use for moving. And on the side in permanent marker, I'm writing, huh, maybe these junglers are good now. Blade of the Rune King got nerfed, I say question mark. They made it more expensive. Um, this probably means that it's still Stormraiser season. If you've been thinking it's kind of weird how much Stormraiser we're seeing, this will only add to it. Uh, Blade of the Rune King still a very powerful item, 
but this will make it less of a draw as a first item if you're just looking for uh, the ability to pick up quick stats you probably go Stormraiser. it is also kind of interesting because it will factor into the top lane the tank conversation a lot of the time people are choosing between blade of the rune king uh something like divine sunderer and something like Hullbreaker or Black Cleaver as a starting item. And you're, you're considering all your different attack damage options, and for many of the more bruiser-y characters, Blade of the Rune King is the most attack damage of the options. And this maybe skews us towards having more tanky bruisers. Maybe this, this wins out the argument for uh, Black Cleaver, Divine Sunderer, or even those Hullbreaker starts they're doing in Asia. Some some of the Asian top laners are just first iteming Holebreaker. Maybe that makes that make even more sense. The Baron got nerfed. I find this really funny because they did this a couple of patches ago as well. It's it's clear that somebody somewhere is having a lot of trouble killing the Baron. There's a stat somewhere that shows how many solo queue players are dying while attempting the Baron. And it's weirdly high, because uh, they, they have now nerfed both of the Baron's attack abilities. Uh, so he, he does less damage, the poor dude. He also has more HP, so it's not like a flat nerf. Baron got, got balance adjusted. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not a meaningful change to how possible it is to, to do Baron. I do think I prefer the Baron doing more damage because it's, it's his Acid Spit in particular that got nerfed, which is a dodgeable ability. So I do, I do like when the major objectives require a little bit more team coordination and a little bit more player coordination to solve. I like when teams get caught out because they didn't plan ahead and they end up on low HP while fighting the Baron and things go disastrously wrong. That's that's entertaining to me, so I'm a little I'm a little miffed about it. But all of that means nothing. If you thought you know lots of numbers, okay, TJ, this is what the podcast is like when Leonard isn't around. We just talk numbers the whole time. Let's talk real numbers. These are these are the real League of Legends nerd hours. Uh. Home guard, which is one of those mechanics you know about but maybe have never talked about before, got changed significantly. So home guard is the speed boost that you get leaving the base in the late game, and and you definitely know about it. You've noticed it. You're like, oh, I'm running really fast when I leave the base in the late game. It's now active uh, only one minute into game, and that means that lane kills solo kills in lane are going to mean a lot less uh especially because especially in conjunction with the other change that happened here which is minions got slowed down so the the speed boost that you get leaving the base got increased it's a bigger speed boost and it happens earlier in the game and the minions who by default get faster and uh, get better stats in general as the game goes on, got nerfed pretty significantly. They have a lower maximum HP cap, so they don't scale as much, um, and they uh, move much slower. 
And what that means is that in lane, uh, you are penalized much less for leaving lane. You are penalized much less for dying in lane. You're going to be able to get back and pick up the minion waves in a way you weren't before. Which, I don't know how I feel about. As a support main, I appreciate that this is going to give me more opportunities to roam. As a support main, I appreciate that this is going to make it possible for me to stop waves from crashing into turrets in the late game. I think everyone's been there, you're playing like... Braum, and there's a wave about to crash into a turret, and you just need to kill the minions, and it's... a horrifying nightmare that takes actual minutes. Well, slightly less bad now. But this, this I suspect, will have kind of a, a negative effect on lane skill difference. It's going to be harder to win the game because you blow out the lane. Um, and that's not necessarily bad for the game, because it will conversely reward, I suspect, players getting out of lane. It will probably make it more... It will probably make it rarer that you're playing the game and you're winning your lane, but it doesn't matter because on the opposite side of the map, your top laner's feeding, right? On, if, if your top laner starts feeding on the opposite side of the map, the, these changes will make it so that that is less damaging to said top laner at, and therefore your team, which is a net positive. That's a net good, but I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if that's going to actually come into effect. Um, maybe these are part of the widely reported fix matchmaking. Maybe it's kind of a response to that, because I know that it, it's very difficult to pick apart the systems that people are complaining about when they say, oh, I'm having a terrible time playing solo queue. But these are one of those systems. The, the idea that you can win your lane and lose the game very hard is, is part of that. So maybe this is part of a initiative to respond to those broader issues that people are having at high ELO matchmaking. Hey, more cool numbers. The, the way that respawns work got changed to be more snowball-y, which in competitive games means that if you're winning, it is now easier to keep winning. Um, I'm... I'm they don't give a whole lot of detail. Uh, so, or they give detail, but it's like weird. It's not the detail I want. Here is the text from the patch notes that they put out. Quote, We're making some adjustments to respawns and changing how much a champion can be penalized or favored on their death timers. If you have a lead and are ahead in your game, you'll be penalized less. But if you find yourself behind in your games, you'll be favored less. Which is, whoever wrote this definitely takes great care there with favored less as opposed to penalized more. Uh, which is what that means. If you are ahead in your game and you die, previously your respawn timer was longer than somebody's who was behind in their game and died basically giving a little bit of an advantage, a little bit of a comeback mechanic to the team that was behind. 
that comeback mechanic has been tuned down. That's going to make it easier to do things off of team wipes, for instance. If you kill the entire team, you have more time to grab a turret, grab a baron, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I, I think I like that because it's very rare that those... It's very rare that those death timers are deciding the game. It's very rare that somebody dies, respawns, and then is able to change the game in the few seconds after they respawn. Uh, so, I don't know if it matters that much. It probably balances out with the faster home guards, with the faster movement speed from leaving base, which probably saves, you know, shaves off a couple of seconds on leaving the base. And now your timer is a couple of seconds longer. It's, again, one of those wait-and-see and or find someone who's willing to do the math. This guy isn't. I'm going to take a quick break, uh, and then we'll we'll mosey on down. That's the patch notes. We'll mosey on down to the eSports corner, the eSports Emporium. I want to talk a little bit about the WNS, and then I'll give you my thumbs up for the week and wrap it all up with a neat little bow. So every week we like to restore a little bit of order. We play a game where we agree on a thing that we're going to rank, and then I make a list, and Leonard makes a list, and then we have to find a combined list. We have to agree. And it's a really fun exercise in collaboration, and I get a real kick out of it, and he's not here this week. So I was like, what can I, what can I order that people are still going to argue with me about? Uh, and also that Leonard won't be upset that he missed out on. And I came up with the perfect thing. I'm going to order the top five WNS teams. These are our North American teams, so I'm shoehorning. This is a little bit illegal. I'm shoehorning in a little bit of a major preview here. In about two weeks' time, uh, we have our first major, I believe, of this season. That will be the North American WNS Finals, which determines who in North America gets sent to the Icons uh, World Final. And we've got eight teams sent. I went ahead and actually ranked all eight. And let's just talk through them. Uh, these are my predictions, I suppose. Um, but take them with a grain of salt, which is that the best thing about North America has been how squishy this is. The best thing about North America is that I'm making these predictions just because I like I like getting dunked on. I'll admit it. I like putting things on paper and everyone gets mad at me and then they you know, yell at me on Twitter and it's fun. But I but I also know to be clear that I'm probably wrong because of the nature of these events because of the nature of how close North America is this season. There are some times where I'm a hundred percent sure in my predictions. Um, and this isn't one of those cases. I, I am, I would say, oh, am I below 50%? Probably, probably below 50% confident in the final order. So let's start with the, like, groups, the kind of mushy, 
groupings of these teams and how powerful they are relative to each other. Uh, the, easy, the first group is the easiest. You, of course, have the Sentinels, Tribe Gaming, Immortals, the top three. These are teams that will probably be going to Icons. These teams are where we expect our Icons representative to come from. Um, and I think it's pretty easy to list those three as the top, but Tribe Gaming, it's a little harder to list them as a top team. Because, of course, they spent the entire season kind of just getting destroyed over and over again. This is the team that went undefeated during WNS Season 0. This is the team that represented North America at the Horizon Cup, which was the first international competition. And Tribe Gaming, uh, I'm including in the top three because of their last tournament, because of Major 3, where they had a little bit of a return to form. And I'm also including them on Legacy, on the fact that I know they have some of the best players in North America. And I expect them to be able to deliver on land. Um, so, top three blocked there. I'll order them specifically later. Then I think you have the wild cards. Uh, for me, that is Suzaku, Cloud9, and that's kind of it. Um, Suzaku are a bottom half team that probably shouldn't be this high on my list probably shouldn't be in the wildcard category but they've looked really good recently so i i really struggle to keep them out of that top four out of that top five certainly but that would be an overperformance of my expectations so they're a wild card being represented at the upper end of my expectations here cloud nine are here as a wild card being represented at the lower end of my expectations um, I have them in this 4-5 group in the middle of the pack, and that's not where a team called Cloud9 should be. But I've just been let down too many times. This is a team that has old school, who I do, I will maintain, is the best AD carry player in North America, and they just refuse to utilize him. Uh, they, they have never been able to utilize him effectively. This is a team that has one of the best early game jungle players in North America in Tarzan, who's of course this League of Legends veteran, and rather than leveraging what appears to be a really good base of game knowledge, uh, and a player that looks really good in the early game, they keep putting him on late game scaling characters and letting him carry the game, which just isn't how we're playing League of Legends Wild Rift right now. This is a team that has really good drafting, except for the aims of those drafts. I, I so many times when I'm casting Cloud9 go, wow, I don't agree with the goal of this team. But if I agreed with it, if I had said that the way to play this game was to build around Tarzan uh, uh, having a scaling Jax, then this composition is the, great, the best way to do it. I just don't think that's the right thing to do. And and th these are all my kind of question marks hanging over this team. Uh, Shoutouts as well to Meals and Selmore, who have been playing really good all season, but just not been enabled in the team. Uh, Zello, who 
has had a disappointing season playing a weak side top lane, but looks really good in the last couple of tournaments. There are a lot of pieces on this team that look really good, but they never put them together. Um, so they're down here. They're in my 4-5 group. Cloud9, I think, shouldn't be this low on the list, but are. And they're going to have to prove it if they're if they're if they belong in the top three, if they can challenge tribe tribe sentinels IMT for that top three, uh, they're going to need to do something that they haven't done in their entire existence as a core roster, and that is look like a team that is playing together. Finally, uh, Saint Enemy and Alish down at the very bottom of my list as a kind of soup. The rest, the mush pot, these six through eight teams are actually all really good. I talked earlier about how North America has like a just incredible depth of, of talent. This is one of those cases. I think that Saint Enemy and Alish, any of those teams realistically could make a really good run that got them into a 3-4 slot. Any of those teams could finish this tournament as the third or fourth best team in North America. And that would be a really good performance from them. And that's why they're down at the bottom of the list, because I don't see a world in which those teams leave this tournament as the best team in North America. Cloud9? Maybe. Could do it. Cloud9, if they show up and they're a different team and they figure out their problems, could win the whole tournament. Suzaku, a little bit of an interesting case. They're in the middle of my list because I think they will perform very stably. I feel like I've gotten a handle on Suzaku. They're going to show up. They're going to deliver. They're going to come out as a meddling 4-5 team. Um, so they're in the middle of my list because I think that's where they'll finish. But the bottom half of this list is interesting because it is all wild cards. Enemy is a team that we expected to in the top five conversation and just hasn't been all season despite having a very talented roster they scraped in at the very end of the season um but maybe this is the this is the place where they turn things around saint alish are both entirely new teams they came out of nowhere and just managed to tear up the final qualifier saint uh replacing several of their players alish had three different substitutes in the tournament run that got them into this uh, uh, WNS final. So, who knows, dude? <laughs> Those two teams could be anywhere on this list, but they're probably, you know, talking about this tournament as a 3-4 finish is a win. And that's why they're at the very bottom of the list. Okay. So those are my groups. Those are those are the predictions I feel confident about. I'm going to blast through TJ's 100% legit prediction order. This will be, you can come back and at me, this will be the final order that the team is finishing at the WNS finals. And I'm less than 50% confident that I'm right about this, but it's fun to, it's fun to guess. Um, I've predicted Sentinels to win the event. They will be my number one. A couple of reasons. One, I do have eternal land faith in that team. It's a roster of Arena of Valor players that 
won all of the North American Arena Valor lands. Uh, and, and I think that they've made a ton of really exciting strides. That They're a team that very much understands how to play the game. If they show up in the form, I hope they do. They are my top team. Tribe Gaming, I think, are going to put things back together. They are my number two team. Uh, they just have a lot of firepower. They just straight up have the best players in North America. And for a very long time, despite having the best players in North America, they had no strategy, and they were getting away with it. Uh, that was kind of the story of their Season Zero. That's why Tribe Gaming looked so bad at the Horizon Cup. And this season they realized, okay, everyone else has figured out how to play the game, and the fact that we can 1v1 anyone isn't going to win us games anymore. And look much better for it. I like the new Tribe Gaming. I think they will finish in second place. They will lose to Sentinels in the Grand Final. Number three will be IMT for me, which is a little bit of a slight. Like, this is, this is a little bit of flame because Immortals have looked like the best team all season. But I think I think my problem is I haven't been seeing Immortals winning those games on the map. I've been seeing them winning those games in 1v1s. It's been Lebmont uh, and, and Hoon being, and Gume being able to win individual fights on the map, and that's been giving Immortals the, the wins. And my thought process here is that Lebmont and Hoon and Gume are all going to be challenged in their roles come finals. I think they will be... I think their firepower will be out-firepowered come finals. I think Tribe Gaming are a particularly good match, for instance, into Immortals if they have found their form in macro. I think Tribe Gaming should beat Immortals every time. I think Sentinels are a little bit low on firepower, despite being the most tactically proficient team in North America, so all of this is kind of based on Sentinels finding a little bit more just individual mechanical skill, but I, I believe in their ability to do that on LAN. Uh, the most exciting thing, of course, about this entire top three, my Sentinels Tribe Gaming Immortal list, is that all of these teams have won North American tournaments before. All of these teams are made up of veteran competitors who can absolutely win this tournament, show up on land, be comfortable on stage. So, very excited. That's my top three. I'm not going to justify anything from here on out. It is Suzaku, Cloud9, Saint, Enemy, and Ailish for the rest of the list. There you go. Wow, you know... I'm I'm looking at the time code and the solo TJ episode, th 30 minutes exactly at this point in time. Kind of wild that we come out normally to an hour, and it turns out I'm half of that hour. There you go. Thumbs up. Uh, my thumbs up for this week is North America. I think it's the best Western region right now due to the depth of competition. Enemy who are seventh on my list, could make a championship winning run. Do I think they're going to? No. But maybe. The amount of mechanical talent, individual players who are good at the game, Wild Rift, in North America, I think, is the best in the West. 
Um, I, I said it at the end of the North American Last Chance Qualifier broadcast I was on. I said, I think North America is the best Western region. That's a little bit of slight um, to uh, Brazil, because I haven't been watching a whole lot of the Brazilian broadcasts. I've been watching some of the games where TSM plays and stuff. Uh, and, and those players look really good, so I, I don't have a full handle on them. I think North America is better, but I, I haven't done my research on Brazil, and I will admit that. But it's not a slight to Europe. Well, it is a slight, but I've done my research. I've watched those games. I think North America is better. And that's for a couple of reasons. I think North America is doing a better job understanding how to play the game, referencing international regions, playing the meta that is being played in the WRL, that is being played in Asia. And I think that's going to serve them much better. I think Europe's meta is very based around European solo queue. We're seeing a lot of performances that tell me that European players are getting most of their practice in solo queue. And I think that makes them kind of weak uh, when it comes time for international play. So that's my... That's my kind of flag in the sand if i if i had to make a bold prediction it would be that european fans are going to be disappointed with their representative and north american fans are going to be surprised and delighted by their representative going into icons the global championship go na usa that's not how i wanted to end the podcast but it will be Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find Out of Hand weekly on the podcast platform of your choice by searching for Out of Hand. You can find me on Twitter at EsportsTJ, or if you want links, show notes, any information about the show, you can go to podcast.esportstj.com. That is all. See you next week.